Do you like this show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, of course you do. Then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. The Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. Ah, we're still in the midst of the Halloween season. I love it. it. The weather's getting awesome. It's nice and like 60 degrees outside. It's starting to feel like fall. Ah, I love this time of year. No, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned the weather because I, I remember walking outside yesterday and thinking, God, this feels awesome. And it actually rained for the first time in over a month here. Yeah, same here. Which definitely helped out. You know, it's as you said, we're right in the about to be in the middle of October and it's I love this time of year from October to really December. My favorite time of year weather-wise. It's great. Well, we kept getting teased for like a week and a half about a cold front that was supposedly coming and then they kept pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. I'm like, "Oh, why? it's too hot." I hate it when it's like try, you're trying to get into the fall Halloween spirit and it's like 97 degrees outside. But then yesterday I walk outside and it's like 60. I'm like, ah, this is this is fall. Yes. Now, perfect weather to me is what you can wear pretty much whatever you want outside. Like yeah. it's comfortable to wear shorts, jeans, maybe like a light jacket. Love it. I like being it's able fantastic. to wake up in the morning and drink coffee and not sweat. <laughs> yeah. No, that's perfect. You know, sitting outside on a fall morning with a hot cup of coffee. Yeah. Great. Mm, I love this time of year. People that like don't like cold weather, you guys are psychopaths. I don't know what's wrong with you. Oh, it's it's like every year on Facebook, people in July and August will complain, "Oh, it's too hot. Can't wait for it to get cold." And then it does get cold. I can't wait for summer. This is Florida. It's not supposed to be cold. <laughs> yeah, I've never Shut been up. a fan of summertime, especially in the South with the with the humidity, because it's just you just live with a sheen of sweat on you for like eight months out of the year. I don't like it. Summer in other states isn't bad. You know, when I went up to Philadelphia last year, it was warm, but it wasn't like scalding hot. Yeah, it actually felt it felt like a nice type of warmth. Hmm. I, w- I wouldn't mind having a nice mild summer, but I live like as far south as you can get almost, so <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah, which is unfortunate. So how's your week been going? Uh, it's actually been pretty uh, uneventful for the most part. You know, I actually had my first weekend off and really over a month because I had been working football the last three weeks. Mm. And then, you know, the past weekend before I had Fanaticon, so I was doing all the traveling that I talked about last week. So I did not even leave my house yesterday. (laughs) I I guess we should make a note that we're recording this 
a little earlier than usual. We're recording Sunday morning. Yeah. But it was really nice just watch TV and movies all day. I just had a really nice, relaxing Saturday. I've started working a little bit on what I hope is going to be my next film project. So I've been oh, awesome. doing some some research and taking some notes and starting to write out the outline for what will be the script. So oh, that's really awesome. nice Saturday. Yeah, my Saturday was pretty much the same. I did leave the house for a little bit. To uh, I went to the uh, local uh, Mexican restaurant right around the corner and uh, had some lunch by myself, which was nice. And, oh, nothing uh, wrong with that. And then I went and got some groceries because I hate going to get groceries when I'm hungry because I end up spending like $400 on stuff <laughs> I don't need. <laughs> so I went and ate first and then went grocery shopping, came back home, and pretty much did the same thing. Watched movies. Uh, I played my Switch for a while. Um, played a little bit of, uh, still play a Mad Max for the PS4, which is a cool game. And um, pretty much did nothing yesterday. It was awesome. Sounds like a much-needed chill weekend. It was. And uh, I finished up my Halloween costume this year. Uh, I went and got... Um, uh, everybody knows I'm going to be a Ghostbuster. Uh, so I got the... Uh, a couple of years ago, I got the, um, the Proton Pack from uh, Spirit Halloween. And uh, mm -hmm. this year, I actually um, I got a jumpsuit from work. That was extra, so I got my name um, embroidered and on a uh, in the Ghostbuster style, and got that ordered. Got that came in the other day, and I heat pressed that onto the uh, the jumpsuit, and uh, went and got this what's called an Alice pack for uh, like hiking and camping, and I mounted the uh, the proton pack onto it, and um, got got the uh, the goggles, the the green goggles that uh, light up. <laughs> In the lenses, so those are pretty cool. So I, I hopefully me and Wally will win some uh, costume contests this year. And since he's my hetero life mate, we're gonna I guess enter some uh, couples costumes. <laughs> 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 so hopefully we'll win some cash prizes this year. So I guess what you're trying to say is busting makes you feel good. Yes, it does. That's the first thing I did as soon as I got my uh, stickers in or well, my patches, put them on the. Uh, the the jumpsuit and I started sending pictures to everybody and I put busting makes me feel good. Yeah, I remember getting it and thinking yeah. that's just awesome. Everybody, so. and most everyone, you know, you guys were all like, dude, that's awesome. Most of my other friends are like, you are such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you guys. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, but I don't know about you. We got a couple of news stories. News was a little bit dry this week, but yeah. um we do have a couple of stories that we want to get to. Let me go ahead and play this here. So, Derek, we've been talking about the Atari VCS for, uh, what, about six, seven months now? Yeah, the, something like that. The plot thickens. Dun-dun-dun. From Engadget.com. The architect behind Atari's VCS retro console just quit. Atari's long-delayed retro console may be in trouble because according to the register, its lead architect has left the project. Rob Wyatt, who was also a founding Xbox team member, told the publication that he officially resigned as the architect of the Atari VCS on October 4th. He said Atari hasn't paid his design consultancy, Tin Giant, 
which has been behind the console's development for the past six months. The crowdfunding retro console was supposed to be released last June, but the company pushed its release back to March 2020 due to the series of delays and revisions. So they haven't paid this dude in six months, and they raised three and a half million dollars. This is not good <laughs> at all. That's a very bad look. Yeah. Very, very bad look. Now, when I read the headline of this, I was thinking, you know, I wasn't sure the reason, but I knew that it had to be something that the company did. Mm -hmm. And then as I was reading it, thinking, yeah, if I wasn't paid for six months for all the work I've put into it, yeah, I'd probably walk away too. Well, yeah. And where are they going? I mean, if they're already out of money, how are they going to finish this thing? Like, uh, how could you have run out of money? Yeah. How do you run out of money when you get three and a half million dollars? Yeah. It sounds like this whole thing has just been poorly mishandled from its inception all the way up to us reading this article. Yeah. Like, I had a bad feeling about this thing from the very beginning with all the kind of shady, um, you know, press releases they've done about it, the, uh, the interviews that they've done. It just always made it seem like they didn't really have, you know, <laughs> the the egg wasn't fully hard boiled. If you get my my drift, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It just seems like they don't because this is not the Atari of old. This is not the same company that existed, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties. This is basically someone bought the name and decided to. Uh, make a console and did a, um, uh, was it a GoFundMe or was it a, I know it wasn't. Let me look it up real quick. It wasn't, um, it wasn't Kickstarter. It was Indiegogo. Indiegogo. And um, just kind of half-assed put up a, you know, a, um, an Indiegogo for this thing they didn't really have a, a sample of or anything. And I don't know. It just, it seems, it it's just seemed really shady since the very beginning. When it says here, that said, it also assured its crowdfunding backers that the hardware they'll get will be 100% finished. It's just that the software it's running will be an early access version. The company said it will ask its backers who are supposed to receive their consoles earlier than everybody else for feedback before the device's retail launch next year. Hmm. Now, that being said, I'm sure we've touched on this before, but I feel like the demand for this wouldn't be that great anyway. Because, I mean, everybody knows what the Atari is, but you don't really see people kicking the doors down to want a mini Atari like they did for Nintendo yeah. or Sega. I just, I don't think uh, Atari is just, just doesn't have that same nostalgia factor that uh, Nintendo has because uh, of course, Nintendo is still around. Yeah. You know, Atari went bankrupt in 1983. It was sold off to Warner brothers. Warner brothers pretty much destroyed it. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, basically just, thrown in a dumpster till somebody came along and paid for the name. Yeah. It's just been a bad idea and poorly mishandled from the beginning. And I feel bad for people who have actually donated money to this thing. Yeah, Cause I, I can't imagine like I would be livid 
Yeah, over I mean, all of this, people paid upwards of like four or five hundred dollars for this thing on the Indiegogo campaign, and I don't know, this thing just—I'd be—I'd be pretty mad if I dumped money into this thing. And now you get to pay to be a beta tester, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's awful. But our next story is uh, much more of a lighter note from Destructoid.com. Sega is remixing old Sonic Adventure music, so people think a remake is coming. Uh, the guy who writes this, his name's Chris Carter. He said, remember when I paid tribute to 9999 recently? Sonic Adventure was a huge part of making that day special, and Sega knows this, trotting it out constantly for fans. The latest effort is an official Welcome to Station Square mix with T. Lopes featuring Jun Sinyao, the latter of whom has worked on the scores for countless Sonic games and most recently, Team Sonic Racing. For those of you who aren't aware, Station Square is a major location for the inaugural adventure game, so serving as an open-world exploration hub. Sega dropped this on their YouTube this week with the simple message, it's time for some musical throwbacks. Although any buzz about a Sonic Adventure remake slash modern remaster is completely fan-made. It stands to reason that Sega would want to mine nostalgia and get back to the basics following their success, Sonic Mania, and their folly with Sonic Forces. Now, that being said, well, first of all, I like the remake. I like the remix song. It's mm. actually pretty catchy. I agree for the most part with that last sentence that Sega would want to mine nostalgia and get back to basics with games like Sonic Mania. The 2D Sonic games, especially the modern ones, have been really good. Yeah. I really have no complaints. But the 3D games have not been so good. I haven't played Sonic Forces, but I've heard very mixed things about it. Most of the Sonic 3D games have not been great. As I said in my review with Sonic Adventure... I love the story, but the gameplay is pretty flawed and doesn't hold up very well. Yeah. Sonic Adventure 2 I haven't played in a while, so I can't really speak on that. Sonic Generations was good, but the others haven't been, you know, that spectacular. But I would still love to see a remastered Sonic Adventure because I think if you just beef up the graphics and you fix a lot of the control issues, it could be a good game. Yeah. And I, and I would be there day one to get it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, so, uh, Sega has really captured a lot of nostalgia lately and goodwill with, you know, players uh, be, with, you know, the, the Sega Genesis Mini, which is really good. Um, I don't know. I feel like they're slowly trying to crawl back into the public consciousness. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, coming out with a remake of Sonic Adventure done well would do a lot to, you know, uh, uh, spread the goodwill still <laughs> that, you know, these franchises like Sonic and, uh, uh, you know, some of the other Sega franchises, like you could even bring back like Streets of Rage and things like that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It just feels like Sega is starting to make its way back into the limelight a little bit. Because Sega did have its following back in the 90s. You know, there were those who preferred the Genesis over the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And Sonic is still a relevant video game character. He's the only one to me who comes close to matching the iconicness of Mario. Yeah. So I think if you remastered this game, because this game even has its fan base, I think it could do nothing but good things. 
Yeah, and I don't think Sega would try to come out with a new console again, but I do think that they could, uh, you know, get back up there to where they're making games, like making Sonic games that are equal in, you know, uh, quality to, you know, the new, like, like look at um, like Mario Odyssey. I I think mm-hmm. that Sonic could become you know, just as popular as, you know, the Sonic games or Zelda on Nintendo consoles. Yeah. No, I I totally agree with that. Now, will this happen or not? Not entirely sure, but I would love to see it. Yeah, me too. I'm all for it. Like, uh, any, any old games that were, that had a good idea but weren't executed all that great or were limited by the uh, the you know the hardware at the time i'm all for remaking these old games cuz you look at what happened with resident evil 2 it was a great game back in the day but it did not hold up as far as you know uh, just the the tank controls the crappy camera angles like it was a fun game to play back then, but you play it now and it's like, ugh, this is awful. But then they did the the complete reboot, the remake of it, and it was fantastic. Well, and even Spyro and Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Those remastered games, and they sold very well. So there's clearly a market for it. So I wish uh, Nintendo would take a look at uh, Star Tropics again and completely just bring that uh, franchise back from the dead. That'd be fun. That would be really fun. There's so many games that you know could get remastered and would do really well. Need to do a write-in campaign to Nintendo, like bring back Star Tropics. Start the hashtag. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, And for our last story tonight, this is actually I got this off theworkprint.com. NYCC 2019, Castlevania confirmed for season three. uh, they had a panel for the Castlevania um, anime on Nintendo at NYCC, and uh, they did a um, they had a couple of questions for everybody, and they had a teaser clip of season three. Um, Castlevania on Netflix is one of the greatest game to television series of all time. An adaptation of Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse, the story follows the last vampire hump- hunter of his clan, Trevor Belmont, and his team up with the speaker and sorceress Sypha. Together, they reluct- reluctantly serve as heroes of Wallachia, and in the process, awaken Dracula's own son, the powerful vampire Alucard. Um, let's see. Let's scroll down to the panel. Uh, revealed during the panel, Ellis, uh, what was, what's his name, Warren Ellis, um, hadn't played a video game his entire life. Therefore, most of the Netflix adaptation are a mix of his original ideas set in extensive lore-filled universe established in the video game. With special emphasis on creatures and combat by the creative team, as the Dietz brothers confessed to allocating storyboards and concept art to various animation studios across the world, all of whom collaborate on Castlevania. Um, let's see, uh, the end of the panel revealed a funny teaser for season three where Sypha exaggeratedly feigns and plays up how vulnerable and unfortunate she and Trevor are as the couple drive a carriage along a forest filled with demons, ones who are evidently stalking them. Unsurprisingly, Trevor sighs in dismay in the trailer as it's revealed this poor ruse is not the first time Sypha tried doing this with him. 
this was the first real confirmation that the series has been picked up by Netflix for a third season. They also revealed a season two Blu-ray release in November. So we know we're getting, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We were hoping we would get like a surprise drop of season three, but it doesn't look like it's going to come out until we're getting it, but I have a feeling we're not going to get it until next year, next October. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Uh, the first thing I noticed when I read this was there was no release date. Yeah. We got that it's happening, but no release date. But I, I agree with you. It, it would make sense for it to come out in October because yeah. it's Halloween month. It's when they've dropped seasons one and two. So it clearly makes sense. I, I, I am curious as to where they go with the story due to the way that season two ended. Yeah. But, but it's definitely going to be one of those you know day one watches for me. I mean, really, the only thing I could think that happens is maybe Alucard goes bad and they have to go back and take him down. Or I don't know, maybe they jump forward in time and go to Simon Belmont, maybe. Possibly. I don't know. I mean, they, have, they have options. Yeah. Oh, there's tons of, of directions they could go with it. Um yeah, I mean, you know, Alucard's a vampire, so they could jump forward in time to Simon Belmont, and he has to take on Alucard or team up with him, or Dracula comes back. Who knows? There's a million things they could do. I mean, Dracula definitely has to come back. I mean, that <laughs> that's the whole yeah. point of the games, is Dracula keeps coming back through the, through the years, and that's the whole point of the Belmont clan. Yeah. I mean, either way, I'm really excited to see it. I know we we say it every time we talk about it, but if you haven't watched Castlevania seasons one and two on Netflix, do yourself a favor and do it. It's so good. Go yeah, watch it now. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I need to watch it again. <laughs> I've already watched Same. it all the way through twice. I'm going to do it a third time. Yeah, I need to do it a second time. Mm, so good. If, yeah, I, I can't. If you're uh, if you're listening to this show and you haven't seen Castlevania yet on on Netflix, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing with your yeah, life? What are you doing? Well, let's go ahead and move into this month of video game history. On October 18th of 1985, the Nintendo Entertainment System home video game console, the export version of the Famicom, is launched for a limited test market in the United States, along with Rob, the robotic operating buddy peripheral. Never heard of it. Uh, it, it could have gone on to, to do good things. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it crashed and burned in the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, Rob had such potential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool if you watch, um, uh, uh, they actually had, um, uh, what's his name, um, Howard Phillips on the, the video game years talking about the, the actual release of the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System because the American public was really shy about home video game consoles because of the video game crash in 1983. So the Nintendo Entertainment System was actually uh, pushed as a just a, a, a toy basically mm -hmm. like a, a like more like a or not even really a toy but like uh, um almost like a a vcr almost but it had the rob with it which was pushed as a toy like it wasn't marketed as a video game system and it just they only did it i think in new york and um 
and they just kind of basically just like <laughs> it was almost like they were like a kiosk in the mall you know like you walk past the mall and people are like hey come over here and check out this thing like that's basically what they did for the beginning of the NES and then it just kind of caught on like wildfire and look where we are today. Yep. And they did the, a weird thing where uh, if there were any toy stores that actually bought the Nintendo system to sell, they did a buyback guarantee that if they didn't sell, Nintendo would buy them back from the retailers. Oh, that's good. So it was a zero-risk prop proposition for the uh, retailers at the time. No, that's actually smart, I think, by by both parties. Oh, yeah. Huge risk, but here we are, you know, 35 years later, and Nintendo has all the money. <laughs> They're still king, in my opinion. Yep. On October of 1987, Nintendo releases Mike Tyson's Punch-Out for NES slash Famicom. Well, Punch-Out's my... a classic. Oh, yeah, still one of my favorite Nintendo games. Well, and that was, you know, Mike Tyson was so well-known at that time, so to put his name and his likeness into a video game was just a no-brainer. And you know they only paid him like $30,000 to do that. It was either 30 or like 40 something like that. It wasn't a lot of money to use his likeness and name for like two years. That's crazy. But uh, you, you think classic Nintendo and Punch-Out's gotta be you know, on the short list of iconic games from that console. Oh, yeah, it's definitely top 10. If you have to have 10 games, only 10 games for the NES, this is definitely in that t that 10. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see, October 23rd of 1988, Nintendo releases Super Mario Bros. 3 for the Famicom in Japan. First appearance of the Koopalings. One of the best Mario Bros. games of all time. Oh, yeah. And Hands to me, down. it's... Out of the, the original trilogy for the NES, it's by far the best. Oh, yeah. It took, it took the formula from the original and added, you know, beefed up the graphics a bit, added cool new power-ups. To me, the, the Raccoon Tail is, like, top five favorite Mario power-up for me. Oh, yeah. I actually like it better than the, the cape in Super Mario World. I think it's more iconic, yeah, because you you, know, you think of Mario Brothers three, and you think of the cover that just has the yellow background with Mario just flying uh, yeah. with the Koopa or not Koopa tail, but the raccoon tail on him. That is still my favorite video game art of all time, like box art. It's so simple, but when you think of box art, Mario Brothers three is up there. It's just so happy. I, <laughs> I, I'll give it this: I do think it's more iconic than the Mario World box art. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of stuff is a lot more iconic than the Super Nintendo box art. There isn't very much Super Nintendo box art that readily jumps to mind, except for, like, Legend of Zelda. Yep. Um, Metroid. Earthbound's uh, up there for me. Yeah, Earthbound. Um, that's really all I can really think of that, like, immediately pops in my head. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. The The box art for Super Nintendo was... Uh, there's some good box art, don't get me wrong on that, but there's very few that really stand out. Yeah. But uh, Mario Brothers 3 is, is great. It's one of my favorite NES games of all time. 
Let's see, October 11th of 1989, Atari Corporation releases the Lynx handheld console with color and backlighting. Funny enough, I saw a Lynx at the video game trading post a couple of weeks ago whenever I went. Yeah, we've talked Not about this numerous times about how like kind of ahead of its time this thing was, but it just I think it was a little too ahead of its time. I think I don't know, there's just something about the simplicity of the uh, the Game Boy that just ate everybody's lunch at the time. Well, not to mention it had the Nintendo name attached to it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'd be interested in, in trying out the Lynx. I can't remember the exact price that I saw it at, but I don't remember it being that expensive. So one day I might I might give it a shot. Yeah, but you'll have to have like you know a, a case full of batteries because I think it... It's just, it only has like a 10 minute battery life with like eight double A's at a time. (laughs) I hope it has a power adapter. I think it does. It should. Well, because I had to do that with the Game Gear back in the day because the batteries in that didn't last long. So I pretty much just had to find an outlet, hook the power cord to it, and I would just lay on the floor and play it. And what's the point of that? You're not mobile at that point. Yeah. It lasts maybe... 30 minutes to an hour on a car trip. Yeah. On October 21st of 1992, uh, Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins is released for the Game Boy, the first appearance of Wario. Speaking of games that I'd love to see get remastered, I would love to see a remastered Mario Land 2. That would it be is cool. such a fun and underrated game. It's not that it's not that long, but it also inspired you know, one of the more popular cult characters in the Mario universe, and that is Wario. Yeah. You know, the, the, to tell you how popular Wario was from that game, Mario Land 3 was based around Wario. <laughs> like, he was the main, the main playable character in that game. So that, that should tell you how popular Wario was as a result of Mario Land 2. Well, he's a good villain. But it's, it's a super fun game. Yeah. On October 31st, 1997, Crash Bandicoot 2 Cortex Strikes Back is released for PlayStation. Crash Bandicoot was Sony's attempt at creating a mascot-type character to rival Mario and Sonic. Crash Bandicoot games are good, and to me, this one is easily the best of the three original ones. But I know Crash never quite got that type of status like Mario and Sonic. Well, I think the whole era of the the mascot was coming to an end at that point. Yeah. You don't Still really a have, fun game, you know, though. Don't really have mascots these days. Yeah. Uh, for October 12th, 1998, Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit is released for Windows. I feel like every week we talk about some type of racing game that was released. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I never played games. any of the Need for Speed games, personally, so I, I can't speak too much on them. I did. I played them for the original Xbox. Uh, I was really into to those kind of racing games at that time. I'm not, not so much anymore. I like a good, you know, I like Mario Kart. I really Wasn't there a Need for Speed a, movie? Uh, yeah, it actually, it had uh, Aaron Paul in it. Speaking of Aaron Paul, I just watched uh, El Camino last night, too. Oh, I need to watch it. So good. That's what I've been hearing. I, I really need to watch it. I might watch it tonight. Yeah, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, I mean, it is, you have to watch this. 
Yeah, it, it's I've heard nothing but great things about it. I read a spoiler-free review, I think Friday, and said it was really good. So, yeah. and it it does the the series justice, which makes me happy because that show was to me. There's no such thing as a perfect series, but Breaking Bad comes close to oh, it. Oh yeah, that's as close as you're gonna get. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. But to close us out on this month in video game history, on October 31st, 1999, Resident Evil 2 is released for the Nintendo 64. And I played it at least 50 times on that console all the way through. (laughs) I'll get to it at some point. It's funny because we were actually talking about Resident Evil 2 earlier. Dude, you need to get the remake, man. It is good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed your review on it and, you know, heard nothing but good things about it. The only bad thing about it is it's not very long, though. Um, but the cool thing is is um, you have the two different storylines to go through. So it'll rough take you rough. If you do both storylines, which you kind of have to to get the whole story, it'll take you roughly 12 to 13 hours to complete the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's... it's That's actually about how I want my games these days. I'd like a good, you know, 10 to 12-hour experience. Yeah, with all the other stuff that I have going on, that for me that would be about right too. And it's crazy to think that you know I put over a hundred hours into Breath of the Wild. Yeah, me but too. But that's also Zelda, and I, I have a have a great relationship with Zelda. That's one of the few franchises these days that I'll actually still put that amount of time into. Yeah, and that's why I struggle to play play RPGs. Yeah, I love a good RPG. But they take a lot of time to get into. Well, it's like um, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. Like I love the first one. I played the you know the Red Dead uh, um, expansion, the Undead expansion. Like I love that game. And then I I got Red uh, Red Dead Two a couple of months ago, and I think I got maybe about fifteen twenty hours in, and I was just like, I'm I'm kind of tired of this now. (laughs) You know, like I, I I stopped playing it, and I haven't gone back to it since. But I just, I don't know, I, I, like, my attention span these days just doesn't go that far, un- unless it's like a Zelda or something like that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But uh, before we go into the review tonight, Derek's got some shout-outs. Yeah, as always, we'd like to give a shout-out to our patrons, because without you, uh, the show would not be possible. So, special shout-out to xblade 7 Daniel Salmon, and Justin Olson. Thank you guys so much for your contributions. And if you want to be a patron to the Nerd Cave Retro Show, you can visit patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. Absolutely. And tonight we're going to be talking about... Castlevania II Simon's Quest is a platform adventure video game produced by Konami. It was originally released for the Famicom Disk System in Japan in 1987 and for the NES in North America in 1988. It is the second Castlevania title released for the NES uh, following the original Castlevania. 
set sometime after the events of the first installment, the player once again assumes the role of vampire hunter Simon Belmont, who is on a journey to undo a curse placed on him by Dracula at the end of the previous encounter. With Dracula's body split into five parts, Simon must find and bring them to the ruins of his castle and defeat him. So, this game is such a departure from the original Castlevania. And it kind of... This, I think the same year was the same year that, um, you know, Legend of Zelda 2, uh, Link's Adventure, um, came out. And Super Mario Bros. 2 came out. And a lot of those games were so different from the original game. And I think the only one that really worked was Super Mario Bros. 2. Um, I have... I'm trying to think of other game franchises where the second game was so different than the first and actually was either just as good, if not better. Like, really, I mean, Super Mario Brothers 2 is questionable because there's a lot of people that don't like that game, but I personally think it's better than Super Mario Brothers, even though, don't get me wrong, Super Mario Brothers is a great game, but part two and three are much better. Um, and the only one I can Agreed. really think that is better than the original game is Mega Man 2. It's funny you mentioned the comparisons because I was watching some gameplay of Castlevania 2 before we started. My immediate thought, this looks almost exactly like Legend of Zelda 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... And initially I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a good thing. But And granted, I'm not actually playing it, I'm just watching video, but... It looks like it still has elements of Castlevania in a sense, but it does look very different Yeah, than the first one. Well, it does kind of keep the same look as the original game. Uh, it, it's a little more detailed, but um, Simon's a little bit smaller on the screen, actually a smaller sprite than he was in the first game. Um, but the thing is, is they, they tried to do sort of like um like the first game is just basically it's a platformer you're in ca- Dracula's castle you're trying to get to Dracula you defeat Dracula at the end you you know defeat all his bosses and that's the game with this one they try to do sort of like a map system but it's hard to do when you're on a two-dimensional plane like there's different paths that you can take but i was trying to follow the walkthrough and it's really confusing like trying to find your way around this game. I mean, it was frustrating trying to figure out where I was supposed to go, who I'm supposed to talk to. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this game. You actually have to buy things from vendors. You got to find different vendors. There's parts of the game where you go into these rooms and in these towns, and you actually have to like break through the floor with holy water to find different people to uh, underneath the floor to, to buy different items from them. And I'm like, if you don't have a walkthrough, you're not going to figure this shit out. Like, how did people figure this stuff out back when this game came out? Because the translations in the game do not help at all. Because the, a lot of stuff was lost in translation. And, yeah. you know, there's like certain parts of this game where I had to go into a cemetery drop a clove of garlic on the ground and this dude would appear to get um i forgot what i was supposed to get from him i got something from him. i forgot what it was 
Um, but like, if you don't have a walkthrough, how would you know that? Well, that's got to be frustrating too, in a sense that if you play a game that you almost have to have a walkthrough for, and it's telling you essentially what to do, that takes to me part of the joy out of video games. And that's figuring things out on your own and discovering new things. If you have to use a walkthrough to even get through something basic, yeah, that takes (laughs) part of the experience away, in my opinion. Yeah, and then there was another part where you're supposed to, um, where you come across this like pond, and there's no way to get across it. But you know, with the walkthrough, it tells me to select the, I think the blue gem. You have to buy different gems from people that do different things. Um, There was a white gem, a blue gem, and a red gem. Uh, With the blue gem, I had to stand at the side of the pond, select the blue gem, and then kneel for like five seconds. And then the screen would kind of go down a little bit, and you would see this hidden step down below the water that you would jump onto. And then there's this whole other section of the game that's underneath the pond. And I'm like, who the hell would figure this out without a walkthrough like there's no way to know this at all it's except if it sounds cool i'll give it that (laughs) it sounds to me like just from what you're telling me and what i was reading on the wikipedia page it sounds like this game was trying out different things that might have been a little bit ahead of its time yeah and not necessarily like the best thing to do with the NES and 2D side scrolling. Yeah, it's just hard to pull off this time. I mean, I appreciate what they were trying to do. Same thing with Zelda 2. It's like, I appreciate what you were trying to do. You were trying to give me a different experience because you don't want to just rehash what you know you did the first time. So you try to give me something different, but it's too radically different than the first one because you look at you know you look at um like super mario brothers 3 they kind of took elements of the second game and the first game and combined them to make a better experience of you know an extension of the first game like a much more and a better experience kind of the same way with um with castlevania like they kind of went back to basics with castlevania 3 they took what made the first game work and they added some different characters, different playable characters, um, you know, expanded out the levels a little bit, took away all the cryptic bullshit <laughs> and having to buy stuff from people and all that kind of, all the RPG elements just took that out, went back to basics and made a better game. And you look at yeah. Mega Man 2, they basically took everything that worked in the first game and they just kind of redid it and added some new elements and just made a better experience with just basically taking what worked with the first game. And I think there's something to be said for that. Like, I understand not wanting to give you just rehashing the same thing, but at the same time, if something's not broken, don't try to fix it. Like, expand on what worked. I've said this multiple times, but anytime you make a sequel to something, it can be a movie, it can be a video game, You did exactly what you said. You take the elements of the original and you add new depth to it. You don't completely change it. You just add depth to it. An example I always use is Sonic 2. Sonic 2, they gave Sonic a new ability, the spin dash, 
-hmm. You also add tails into it, so you can do almost like a co-op or a two-player game to it. That adds a cool experience to it, and you beef up the graphics a bit, you add a couple of new things. That is what makes a sequel even just as good as the original. Yeah. And like you go through this game... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you have the examples of the departure which do work, like Mario Brothers 2, and then you have those like Zelda 2 that don't work. Yeah. Well, you look at the first game, the first Castlevania, one of the coolest things about the first game was you go through it and, you know, your boss battles... You have all kind of like the classic monsters that you have to fight. Like even from like Greek mythology, you have the Medusa you have to fight. You have to fight, you know, Frankenstein's monster. You have to fight mummies. Like all that cool stuff you have to fight as bosses before you even get to Dracula. This game, there's no boss fights. It's weird. Like really. And I went back and was doing some reading on it and it's. It was. It's like that because you go into these rooms that look like there should be a boss fight there, but there's nothing. You just go in and you throw. A, you have to get a wooden stake. You have to find the the guy in town to buy a wooden stake from. And once you get into the end of the castle or where the area you're at, you have to throw the wooden stake at the glowing ball in the room, and that turns into a piece of Dracula, like his eye or his rib or, you know, thing like that. You have to collect all the pieces of Dracula to put them back together at the end of the game to fight him and release the curse. But you go into these rooms and there's no boss to fight. It's just you go in, you get the the piece of Dracula, and then you go back out through the castle the way you came. And there's only, there's a couple of boss fights towards the end of the game. But the weird thing is you have, um, you know, the Grim Reaper. You don't, and the thing with the boss fights, you don't necessarily have to fight them. You can just walk right past them. It's weird. And I went back and did some reading and it's because they, I guess they ran out of time and they were so... Uh, tight on time making this game. They didn't have time to put in any boss fights. That's unfortunate. It's weird. Like it's, and then you get to Dracula's castle at the end. There's no bo- no one to fight. There's there's no minions. Nothing. It's just an empty castle. It's eerie. Completely deserted. Yeah, it's deserted till you get to Dracula. You. Basically, uh, you go into the the last room there, and you uh, you know, put Dracula back together, <laughs> and he and then you hit you hit him like a couple of times with your flame. You get this uh second you get your secondary weapons in this game. Like you know you got your holy water, you've got your your flame. Uh, what's it called? I'm trying to remember the names of all this stuff. I was playing this without <laughs> you know the construction book, so I was just doing the walkthrough you Mm -hmm. get this flame thing where you throw it and it creates a flame like tear or whatever you just throw that a few times you hit him with the whip and he's done it's like the easiest boss fight in all of history like i've never in my life had a boss fight that easy (laughs) in a video game so i'm like oh okay that was weird i don't know that's disappointing this whole game just feels like there was a lot of ideas going on, but it was just the execution was just horrible. Does it feel like an incomplete game? 
It does a lot. And let me tell you, it took a lot to get through this game. Like it, I had to force myself to to get through it because this game, there's a man. It does not hold your attention as much as the other ones do because it's just ugh, it's so hard to get through. Even with the walkthrough, it's kind of boring. That's the worst, especially because I know how big of a Castlevania fan you are. Playing the sequel and it being that disappointing has got to suck. Yeah, it's just like I, I really wanted to find a bright spot in this game because I am such a Castlevania fan, but it just, it feels so half-assed and rushed. And I don't know. I just, I enjoy uh, one is still always going to be the best to me. Like that is like, that is Nintendo in a nutshell is that game. When I think of Nintendo, I think Castlevania is one of the first games that pops to mind, you know, Castlevania, Mega Man 2, Super Mario Brothers 3, like Legend of Zelda, those games pop in my head first. But when yeah. it comes to Castlevania 2, I probably will never play this game again ever. Like and actually, you know, Castlevania 3 is good, but it's frustratingly hard. Like way harder than the first game. The the first game's hard. Don't get me wrong, it is Nintendo hard. But it's still fun and you want to keep playing it. The third one, uh, I kind of get frustrated with it after a while. Even though it's still a great game, it's frustrating. But part two, like this was actually, I rem- I can, there, I have a lot of nostalgia for this game. Because this was one of the very first games I ever rented. Like with my own money. I um Actually, I, there was this gas station right down the street from my house. And they started to... Um, you know, rent out Nintendo games and movies uh, in the actual gas station. It's weird. It's kind of right as like video game stores were starting to pop up. So we're talking like 87, you know, right around there. So I rented this. I think it cost me like three or four dollars, which was like at the time, like, you know, a month's worth of uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Um, allowance. Yeah, allowance <laughs> to rent this game. And I rented it and I was so confused by this game at the time. I still remember being just completely confused by this game and I never rented it again. Ne- never really played it again except for a few times here and there over the years, but this was the first time I actually really gave it effort and give it uh you know like the old college try to to give it a chance and I, it just doesn't do anything for me. It just feels so half-assed. And that's unfortunate because it sounds like this game was a victim of its own deadline. Yeah, exactly. you mentioned that They mentioned that there weren't any bosses because they ran out of time to put bosses in. That should not be allowed. Like The, the date should not be so yeah. set in stone. Yeah. Nintendo is notorious. Rare especially, I remember back in the day. Yeah. They would delay games for like a year and a half, but it would be worth it because the game would turn out to be really good. Yeah. So who knows what would have happened with this game had they been given the extra time to put in boss battles and things like that. Another six months, maybe, and put in some sort of like, I don't know, do make a little more effort in the the, the actual translations from Mm -hmm. kanji to English and to where you could actually understand what the hell you're supposed to do in the game. 
because that was a, one of the biggest problems is the translation was so bad you you had no idea what to do you had to have some sort of walkthrough to get through this game that sucks that really does suck oh and uh, I, one, I, thing it's I'll, disappointing hearing stories like that yeah well one thing i wanted to uh, mention real quick is i remember this when it happened um there's a little thing down here at the bottom if you scroll up on the wikipedia page says upon its release and i had this issue of nintendo power I oh i know this cover getting it in the mail i was like oh that's so awesome um upon its release simon's quest was briefly the subject of controversy when it received strong publicity on the second issue of nintendo power its front page had a costumed model dressed as simon belmont holding dracula's severed head the cover pr- provoked many telephone complaints from parents of children who purchased the magazine, stating that it gave their children nightmares. Nintendo Powered covered this in volume 50 of the magazine, which cited this as its worst cover. Simon's Quest was referenced in a following issue in a Howard and Nestor comic strip. I love the Howard and Nestor comics. Oh yeah, it was great. I miss Nintendo Power. Yeah, it was I, such a good magazine. Yeah, I wish I still had all my Nintendo Powers. I had all of them, from like like this was the first issue I got. I did not get the very first issue, the one with Super Mario Brothers 2 on the cover. Um mm-hmm. I had uh subscribed to it like after that issue came out. So I started with number 2 and I think I had like t- two or three years worth um before I stopped uh subscribing to it and I wish I still had all of those. They got destroyed in Katrina. Oh really? Yeah, like as lo- along with most of my boxes for my games. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I'm actually looking at Nintendo Power covers now. There were some that were so good. Oh yeah, I love. Like, I'm Nintendo seeing one for Power. the Battletoads one's good. Yeah, that was a great one. Uh, Star Fox, I remember. I don't remember the first issue that I got, but I remember having a lot of them. Like I remember Link to the Past, Link's Awakening with with the owl and you see the sword stuck in the sand. That's probably the one that I remember most, like the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. I remember. Did you know Nintendo powers back as a podcast? Yeah, I saw that. I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't either. I saw it on, um, like on the switch. Yeah. You know, like the top stories or whatever. I saw it a couple of months ago and was like, Oh, this is cool. But I know they only do the podcast. I think once a month. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to it. Pretty cool though. But yeah, I um the music for this game to get back to to Castlevania 2, the music is still good. Like all most of Konami games always had great music. Um cuz they learned how to uh kind of they put a, a certain sound chip in the in with the actual game uh game itself, like the motherboard for the game that kind of worked with the actual Nintendo sound chip so you got all these great like really layered um you know 8-bit music for their games konami games so the music's really good that's probably the 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 best thing about the game is the actual music yeah i did like the music from the the gameplay that i was watching and that's another thing too is that i feel like the music from that era is more iconic than you know, some of the Super Nintendo stuff. Yeah. Well, and another thing I forgot to talk about, I can't believe it. this was one of the first things I wanted to bring up, was 
the day and night cycle in the game is so aggravating. I don't How know so? if you've if experienced that, but you'll just be trying to do stuff and you go from day to night. And of course, when it turns to night, the whole, everything stops and the slow ass text comes on the screen. What a terrible night to have a curse. And then everything turns dark and all the enemies are twice as strong. Um, there are more enemies and you can't go into town and do the things you need to do. So basically, you just got to wait for day to come. And then, you know, a good 20 minutes later or so after playing, 15, 20 minutes, it'll be like the day, uh, the morning ha sun has vanquished, you know, the enemies of the night or whatever. And then it goes back to daytime. And then you can go into town and do all the things you need to do, like, you know, get uh, talk to people, get certain weapons and things that you need throughout the game. So it's like you're just constantly fighting this, like where the game could just comes to a dead stop, <laughs> and you have to like fight everything at night, and everything is twice as strong and more frustrating, and it's just, and there's something about the day night cycle that affects. There's like three different endings to the game, and depending on how many day night cycles it takes you to finish the game. Is depends on which ending you get. Interesting. I mean, the the day night concept, I like it, and I've seen it in a few games that I've played. But I never really think of it being as you know a concept from way back then. Yeah, I mean, this was probably one of the first games to do that. Yeah, it has to be. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, all around this game is just, there's a lot of stuff. That, I mean, like I said, it had some good ideas, but it just, it none of it works. You know, none of it really enhanced anything. It just made everything really frustrating. And I don't know. I'm not a big fan of this game. I don't want to be too harsh on it because, you know, I love Castlevania. You know, it was part of the Castlevania legacy. They learned from it. It's kind of notorious <clears throat> for being a, a strange game. So I think, you know, out of uh, out of 10, I mean, I'm going to give it a 5 just because, you know, the graphics are cool. You know, I love the, the aesthetic of the game, the Castlevania aesthetic. But there's it's, it's just not good. It's just kind of... It's one of those games that, like, it looks cool to have, like, if you're a completionist and you want Castlevania 1, 2, and 3 in your collection, but you're not going to play it very much, <laughs> which is yeah. what it boils down to. So I give it a 5 because the box art's great, the music's good, the the graphics are, are pretty good, but there's not much else. So you're saying it's fair? It's fair. Like, if you have a walkthrough, you can get through the game with a walkthrough. It's going to be confusing sometimes, but you can get through the game. But without a walkthrough, there is no way on earth you're going to be able to get through this game. There's just no way. I'll say it again. I, I don't like that aspect of it yeah. at all. You shouldn't have to use a walkthrough to get through a game. Yeah. There's just too much cryptic stuff in the game that you're, you're like, who would know to do this? You know, like there's yeah. no way. 
Yeah, but I, I think that's it sounds like a fair review as far as the score goes. Yeah. Well, like I said, if, if you're a completionist and you want to have all the Castlevania games in your library, it's a must-have, but you're never going to play it ever. <laughs> yeah. But that's my review for Castlevania II Simon's Quest. Nice. I like it. So uh, before we get out of here, anything you want to tell the good folks before we leave this week's episode? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the Parker Syndrome, my short film that I did late last year and completed a couple of months ago, received an honorable mention award at the Florence Film Awards uh, over in Italy. So yes. there's that. Um should know a couple of more festival notifications by next week's show, so I'll keep everyone posted on that. If you want to keep up really with any information about the film, you can go to facebook.com slash the Parker Syndrome. And uh, you will be joining me for a special new segment I'm doing for the Derek Diamond Experience that will be coming out this upcoming Thursday. You'll be joining me to review The Joker, yes. which was a fantastic movie. Love it. It was so great. So that episode will be out this upcoming Thursday. You can follow the show on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. And I think that does it for me personally. It should be hopefully another chill week. Awesome. I hope my week is pretty chill too. <laughs> I love a good chill week. I hope the weather stays chilly too. That'd be nice. Oh, uh, Let's hope so. Uh, as far as I go, uh, my band Falls from Grace is going to be having a show on uh, November 16th at the Biloxi Community Center. There's going to be uh, a bunch of other bands playing. I uh, don't have the actual list. I know it's Party at the Moon Tower, uh, a couple other bands. I can't, Project Nine, um, I, I can't look it up real quick. But there's going to be like five or six bands playing. And uh, if, you'd, if you're in the Biloxi area or near the Biloxi area on Saturday, November 16th, uh, show starts at 6, and you can get your tickets right now at thesound228.com. Tickets are $15 a piece. Kids 10 and under get in for free. And uh, there will be Budweiser products, Coke, uh, I think Coke products, uh, Bang, Ener uh, Bang Energy drinks, water. Uh, I think there's going to be food trucks. It's going to be a nice, awesome show. So uh, if, that you wanna, great. if you want to go to that, like I said, this the sound228.com to get your tickets. Um, and also, if you'd like to listen to Falls from Grace, we are actually on anywhere you can download music now. Amazon, iTunes, Spotify. Go to Falls from Grace, and we just released an EP called Thelma. And go check that out. And we also have our first album, Pleasure and Pain, available as well. So go do that and leave us a review. Actually, leave a review for this show, too. Exciting stuff. Yes. So uh, let me go ahead and play our music. Oh, that's going to be really loud. Let me turn that down real quick. <laughs> uh, let me play our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro and individually at jfantastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And all, as always, wherever you listen to our show, please leave us a review, especially on Spotify. So leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are sold. So Derek, please tell everybody what it's all about. 
May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Master Blaster runs by the town.